0: Welcome to the 100th episode of the Marketing Stir podcast by Stirista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Ben, the associate producer here at Stirista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market, and we'll have a little fun along the way. Vincent and AJ chat with Deanna Koch, VP of Marketing at Red Lobster. She talks about how the brand keeps up with the changes over time, appealing to younger audiences. AJ looks forward to the holiday season and his vacation, and Benson feels nostalgic for Red Lobster family dinners. Give it a listen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. It is so great to be back talking to you. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofes. I shouldn't say of course, like everyone knows me, they don't. Maybe we had some more listeners added since we last spoke. I, again, am Vincent Petrofes, I'm the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at Starista. Who is Starista? I will tell you really quick, and that is all you will hear from me about Starista, on the podcast at least. Uh, Starista, we are a marketing technology company. We focus on identity. We own our own business-to-business data, business-to-consumer data. We help customers target that data to get new customers. Who doesn't need new customers? Isn't that great? Also, we own our own DSP, so we are... Sending Media, Display, OTT, Connected TV, we can help you reach those audiences. Email me at, at com. That is how confident I am that we can help. I just gave all of our listeners my email address. I won't give you my phone number. I will not give you my phone number. However, my email address is there. The other thing I'm confident about, ladies and gentlemen, I say it every Episode, except for one episode when I was flying solo, he abandoned me, ladies and gentlemen. But he is here, ladies and gentlemen, my CEO, my Commander in Chief, Mister Aj Gupta. What's going on, Aj?
0: Hey, Vincent. I'm actually pretty excited about this episode. Little, uh, little fun fact for you: uh, my first girlfriend worked at this uh, establishment. I won't give it away. So, but uh,
1: I, I love it. I know it's. This is one of those episodes, Aj, where. And I was telling this amazing guest as we we uh, come we we've had some of those iconic brands on. A lot of times we have brands on that people don't know about yet, but hopefully they listen to the the podcast and we bring them to light. But this one, you're gonna smile. Look at the smile on my face. I'm excited. I'm happy. It, it's uh, you know it, it brings back so many amazing memories, and we'll get to this amazing guest at the moment. We're just teasing you a little bit, uh, our audience, but AJ, what's new with you? I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. I will see you soon because I will be in San Antonio. We are doing our second annual summit. It's virtual where we invite amazing, uh, you know, our amazing customers. Uh, We invite our amazing podcast guests. We invite uh, people who are not customers yet to it, but I will see you then. But what's new with you?
0: I've just been busy. I think everybody is looking forward to the uh, holiday season and ending the year, so I'm no different. We are uh, planning on taking a small uh, short vacation coming up here in the Thanksgiving week, so um, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Nice, nice. Where you going? you go into like that, uh, the outskirts of Texas, which I didn't realize there were beaches over there. And you were telling me there is. No, actually,
0: actually, we've upgraded the beach. First time going to Hawaii.
1: Wow, look at that. I, I see you, Texas, and I raise <laughs> you a much nicer place. That's, uh, that's amazing. I have yet to be to Hawaii. I know a lot of people do that for their honeymoon. My wife and I did something different. We went to Argentina. In Chile, we love the Mendoza wine region. I have some family in Argentina, a lot of Italians in Argentina. AJ, I don't know if you knew that, but so that's amazing. That is very fun. You're gonna love that. And also last thing I'll say before we get to our amazing guests, here's one thing I'm happy about, ladies and gentlemen, you will be happy to know that people are returning to conferences. People are returning to live events. I attended programmatic IO here in New York city. I also had the honor of hosting. I was the master of ceremonies for the silver apple awards for the direct marketing club in New York. That was at the Edison ballroom. People are coming back. So I hope that people are going to start making those plans out to conferences. I know I'm looking forward to it, AJ.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, was lucky enough to watch your video. Sorry. I couldn't make it out. And, uh, I don't like to compliment you, but you killed it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, people who watch and listen to the podcast, they know that your compliments for me are very rare, but they are meaningful when they do show up. So I I want you to be
0: able to get out of your office. You know, yes, your head, my
1: head won't be able to fit out of there. It's uh, you're not the only one who says that. I think it's, you know, uh, I don't I don't see the truth in that. But anyway, here's one thing I'm confident about. Again, I said, this is the second thing. I did say you, I'm confident about you uh, and your abilities. So yes, but the other thing I'm confident is and I'm happy about is this next guest. The next guest is from a company. I'm just gonna sing a little song for you. I don't, you should do this. For the seafood lover in you. That's, what does that mean to people? Smiles, happiness. Red Lobster is with us, ladies and gentlemen. Red Lobster, please a warm welcome. The Vice President of Marketing for Red Lobster, Deanna Koch. What's going on, Deanna?
2: Hey, AJ. Hey, Vincent. How are you doing? Thank you for having me here.
1: Uh, we are so happy to have you here. I didn't do that song justice. I know I'm more of a, Play.
2: you know, the, fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, the singing. You know, not, not the best of singers. Um, but that I know. I just I never sang on the podcast, but I <laughs> Red Lobster is one of those brands. Of course, the establishment, right? That uh, brings back an amazing memories. AJ, you said your uh, ex girlfriend right, worked there. I remember. For me, Red Lobster was a place that was special. Yeah. That's when we didn't. You don't go to Red Lobster every night, although that'd be amazing, right? I'm sure Red Lobster would love that, but it's a special occasion. Yeah. It's special. You go there. It's seafood. It's the Cheddar Bay biscuits. Come on, those things oh, are like yeah. the mo- most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> I will that. that
2: a lot of our guests, absolutely, exactly. yeah. Exactly, right. Place I grew up with. Um, my family, we would go there every Sunday after church. So that was our spot. Um, I would order a Shirley Temple and order as many Mirashino cherries as I like could pack into it. And that was my first memory of Red Lobster. Um, so yes, it, it's we're very nostalgic in people's minds and part of their lives growing up. So which is really a, a, a cool place to be in people's um, you know history.
1: It is, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, I, I, there, there's maybe some, there's maybe, a handful of restaurants where people think that there's maybe a handful that, and, and that's for me, Red Lobster was a special occasion, you know, something happened. It was like a birthday. My, you know, my, you know, my, my mother, she was like, let's go to Red Lobster. And then it was a great night. Always. There was, a, it was always packed, packed. It was always a wait, but it was worth the wait. And yeah, that that's why I was so excited to have you on and Just talk about that. So well, one of the questions we normally ask right off the bat is kind of like, well, tell us about Red Lobster. I, I, don't, I think everyone, if you don't know Red Lobster, you, know, you are living un, under a rock. But let's go into this other question. Let's go into, tell us about your role within Red Lobster. As I mentioned, the vice president of marketing there. Tell us about that, some of the day-to-day that you're involved in. would love to hear that.
2: Absolutely. So my job or my job is to um, lead a team to develop all the great promotional messages and advertising creative that you see from Red Lobster. So um, really my job is to design creative that drives crave for seafood to get you off your couch and come into the restaurant or order online. Um, so we do everything from working with our culinary team to put together great advertising platforms featuring, you know, certain dishes or unique day parts. Um, we also then work with multiple agencies. We have a great creative team in Toronto that does all our creative work, a good media team also in New York that um, helps us with our media buys. Um, so we collaborate with them on what channels we should be in, how should we you know, shoot the creative, what's the creative concept and um, bring it all the way through to execution and launch. Um, I also have a small team under me that works on all the menu design. Um, So we're in the process of actually redesigning our entire menu, um, which will go live um, early next year. And um, so we're a small yet mighty team that's um, really busy, but ultimately our goal is to drive crave for seafood, Cheddar Bay biscuits, and get you to come into our restaurants. So sounds simple.
1: No, no, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of work. I, I know that. And uh, before I get to my other question about how you got started in marketing, yeah. I, I sang that old, for the seafood lover in you, that's, that's, I know that's not the current, but that's ingrained in my head, beautifully ingrained in my head. Uh, but tell us about what, what's like the current, you know, the theme to, you know, your, your campaign Absolutely. that you have out there
2: our campaign right now is called honest to good seafood. And that was really born um, during the, it came out during the past year. So you may not have heard a ton about it with all the other noise going on. But Honest to good seafood is really about being authentic and genuine with our guests. So our ads in the past really focus a lot on really super tight shots of seafood, a lot of trickery with our photography. And what we started to see throughout the years was um, our ads started to look a lot like some of our competitor ads. So the competition starts to catch up with you and from a visual standpoint and what we were starting to see was a little bit of a sea of sameness um, out in the casual dining marketplace so honest to good came about because it has a more editorial feel to our photography you know there's this beauty in the imperfection of the food a bit so not everything is so perfectly styled or overly shot Um, we really get into the crave in different ways by showing fresh ingredients and freshness cues we also love to cut into our seafood to show the nice texture of a nice you know, beautiful. Salmon and really bring that to life. So it's about genuine, authentic seafood that's great for you. So that that's really the campaign right now, um, and we really are bringing it to life mostly in our digital channels um, as we speak. We did a really big pivot out of the world of television into the world of digital, and that really started back during um, once we got into the pandemic.
1: Uh, nice, and I know AJ is chopping at the bits to ask you some questions, but the <laughs> how you got into marketing? We love asking our guests this question because. It's not always a, a traditional path, but I see you have a lot of experience at, at some amazing other, you know, brands as well in marketing. Tell us how you got there.
2: So um, one of my first jobs, I was hired to be a sales manager for the Holiday and Sunsbury Resort by Disney World. And it's a great property. It was very kids-focused. And although it was a sales role, this, the hotel was so unique um, that you had a big story to tell. And we learned quickly that telling the story in order to compete with the plethora of hotels that were in Orlando was the key to this. So it turned really into a, a, a marketing and sales job because we would not only just um, have a quota as far as the number of rooms we needed to fill, it was also about educating travel agents and educating tour operators on the unique offerings of the property. So I started to fall in love with the idea of storytelling, and also, you know, a good story um, it sells a great experience. People wanna to come to Orlando, they wanted to experience a destination, but they didn't really know a lot about it. And so by through the art of storytelling, we would help them you know, with their vacation planning. Um, and one of the things that that hotel particularly offered was this um, new invention at the time called kids suites, which were actually rooms within a room where the children and the adults could actually be in one room together yet have their own separate spaces. And that was at the time revolutionary um, in the hotel industry. And um, telling that story and selling that idea at the same time was really powerful and that's how we really as a hotel Chain started to grow, and that property actually then morphed into what was eventually the Nickelodeon Hotel down in Orlando. So, so yeah, I, I started um, in the hotel business. Um, I rotated over to the Nickelodeon Hotel when we opened that property. That had a, a tremendous story to tell behind it, partnering with Viacom and all the great um, Nickelodeon partners we had there. Um, and then I just fell in love with marketing. I love that idea of how do you you know tell the art of storytelling to you know sell a product to consumers. Um, so
0: just kind of fell in love with it. Right, so related question to storytelling then, you know, what are some of the important features of effective storytelling and what, what makes for good storytelling?
2: Absolutely. I think it's really tying into a consumer insight or a consumer truth, right? That someone can relate to. So you can also, you can always talk about the products and the features and the benefits of something, but if you really can bring in that emotional side of things that make it relatable to people, it's really, it's really magical. Um, one of my jobs was working for uh, Visit Orlando and as a director of marketing there, you know, the art of st- storytelling and selling a destination like Orlando is truly magical. People would save their money you know for an entire year to come on vacation here and so they wanted to do it right so how do you how do you package together you know places that have great theme parks and dining and entertainment in a way for families to you know, think about the destination and ensure that they're getting the best bang for their dollar. So um, through the art of storytelling, you know, it's, if you've got younger kids and you want to bring out the wonder, the magic, you know, over at Disney, this is what you can do there. If you want to discover animals and, you know, the magic of that, you know, that we have a great partner in our theme parks here at SeaWorld. And also if you're like an adventurer person, you, you know, you get into the heart of like those adventurous and we've got great roller coasters over at Universal. So it's, it's bringing those kind of like truths out into your campaigns um, and bringing them to life. So it really connects with the consumer.
0: And then in terms of kind of connecting the storytelling back to Red Lobster's core audience, uh, is there been changes to what the core audience is and uh, what, what does it look like today?
2: Yeah. So our core audience is um, defined right now as middle America, um, which is probably no surprise, but I will say middle America is also kind of split for us as well. We we look at our core guests and we definitely um, over-index in what we call these quality traditionalists, which are, you know, older, a little bit higher income. They're, you know, potentially empty nesters or close to that at this point. And they've been part of our brand for a very, very long time. Um, those guests like our traditional food, our traditional, classics. And they they look for that and they expect that from us. Um, And they expect a consistent quality of that over the years. But it's surprising. We do have a younger demographic that is finding our brand. And it's really exciting, too, to start talking to this younger demographic. And um, especially as we've pivoted out of television into a more digital um, media mix, we're really finding cool ways to connect with those guests and um, bring them into the brand, which is really exciting right now for us.
1: And uh, Deanna, I, I wanted to focus on that because you mentioned some of the changes you made, a lot more digital. Yeah. What, what are some channels, this being the marketing stir, we love to get the, some of the channels out there that are working for you. Tell us about that pivot yeah. and, and what are the channels that you're marketing in currently?
2: Yeah, so just um, one step back, we were a, we used to be a big broadcast TV advertiser. Pre-COVID, we would go into the annual upfronts and we would have a robust Cable television buy that was supported by digital, and then um, we started to make changes to the brand prior to COVID. And when COVID hit, we went dark, um, like a lot of brands did. What we decided to do is pivot to be digital forward, and by by doing so, um, we do we are placing our money into different channels, as you said. We recently completed um, a match market test where we were testing pressure testing audiences and channels against each other, um, and what we saw was that there was a lot of um, Um, A lot of emerging channels that were working rather well for us and getting after those younger growth audiences. I would say right now, Facebook is still one of our strongest social channels. Um, So we are in the Facebook, Instagram world. Um, We do um, use a little bit of Twitter. Uh, We also have ventured into TikTok, believe it or not. And that's where it's really exciting to see some of those younger growth audiences respond. Um, we are also in, we go into Pinterest seasonally right now with the holidays coming up, we find that that's a great platform for party platters, gift card messaging, things are a little bit unique to that platform. And then we still um, do a robust, you know, uh, programmatic buy as well as um, use email marketing. Um, and then as far as online video, um, we are primarily in like a Hulu or a YouTube world um, with six seconds or 15 second ads. Um, We have been layering back in television in a different way, so we're doing some buys through one of our partners where we are on cable TV um, in a very light format. So we're pressure testing the waters of how much we can get back into television right now and how much will show us a good return on investment. So I will say we we, we have a very diverse mix of channels. Um, Social's always been a rather strong channel for us, and what we're trying to learn right now is um, with the reduced budgets that we have, which channels work the hardest for and are the most effective at this time. So that's it's an evolving thing that we continuously pressure test and watch and learn. Yeah,
1: yeah thanks for sharing that. I also would think you know the, the younger audiences, a lot of the younger audiences, and I, I I guess I'm I don't know if I'm still young or not, but I, I feel that because red lobster is an experience, it's yeah. the food. It's so visual. It's such a it it's such a one person doesn't go to red lobster. You go two people you have a family you have a party with people always taking pictures of their food, videos. It, it, I think that would really reign true for 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 Red Lobster. But I, my, my question really around that is, what are you noticing with the younger audiences? Are they, how are they doing? Are there friends? I remember taking dates to Red Lobster. I remember that was special. I really like someone, it's a Red Lobster moment. Yeah. Also, if it was a special occasion, you mentioned after church for you, special mm-hmm. occasion with my family. And it was a big thing. You know, I had a single mom, and it was a big deal going to, to Red Lobster, you know, for, for us, and, and it still is for, for people. So talk to me about how you feel the younger audience is, is engaging with, uh, with Red Lobster.
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting because um, there was this theory that we were doing a really good job talking to our core guests, but um, our core guests will only take us so far into the future. So we needed to start expanding that into younger audiences. Um, But by doing so we also felt we needed some food that was a little bit more relevant for them. So at the same time, our culinary team was working on more relevant and more value focused foods. Um, Back in the summer, we introduced some seafood bowls um, that were delicious. We introduced, believe it or not, a Wagyu bacon cheeseburger that is absolutely fantastic, a crispy cod sandwich that's so big it falls off the bun, and people call it a codzilla. So it was more like handhelds and bowls and value-focused yet relevant food, not the big feasts and platters. We still had those, but what we were finding is that the younger audiences were more engaged with that new food, and we did um, we did a really cool thing. We took a we took a food truck to Atlanta and parked it in the middle of Piedmont Park, unbranded completely. And we had some of that new food in that food truck, and we gave it away. And we filmed people's reactions to the food when they found out it was Red Lobster, and it was overwhelmingly positive. I would say ninety nine percent of the people coming through had not been to our brand or had not been to our brand in a long time. So it was exposing um, a very diverse audience, younger audience to our brand in a very unique way. And the comments that we got on video are amazing that we then edited together and in a way of being scrappy and producing things in a world where you didn't have like big studio dollars to do this. It turned out to be a really cool consumer engagement with that but we learned quickly that the right food to the right audience really works. So then how do you apply that and find the right media channels to put that in? So running this and targeting it correctly in social, like if it was Facebook and Instagram, we would then target those younger guests. Um, And we would also target people who may not be followers of our brand, but be, you know, have the propensity to come into the brand. So maybe they were um, a Chipotle guest and they were, you know, looking at more fast, casual type of guests, looking at the bowls that you would get at Panera or Chipotle. Well, now we have similar things that they would never have thought of about until, you know, they were exposed to it. So that's another way of kind of like kind of getting into like the side part of the competition, not your direct competitors and bringing people into the brand too. Um, so yeah, it worked really well, that activation. And um, like I said, if you can get the right food to the right audience in the right channel, we, we see a lot of magic with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of the uh, first places I went back to when restaurants reopened here in Texas was in uh, Red Lobster, just so I could get my unlimited uh, biscuits there. So <laughs> it's hard to replicate that through a food delivery. <laughs> That's right. So uh, related to the pandemic, obviously, many industries were hit hard and restaurants probably more so than most. Uh, how did that affect your marketing? And uh, since, since the, well, I guess we're still in the pandemic, but how has it changed?
2: It's changed uh, com- completely. It's changed. So um, as I mentioned earlier, you know we, like a lot of our competitors, we just went dark. Um, because our restaurants were shut down, we were forced to go to an off-premise business. Um, I will say our um, off-premise team and our IT team worked tremendously fast because our off-premise business was not that strong a, a part of our business pre-pandemic. Um, There was a lot of, you know, theories that seafood doesn't travel well and maybe it's something I don't want to get to go, Um, but we had to change that perception so quickly we worked from a technology side and this is no credit to me but to the IT team on how we could get make the ordering process easier and safer for guests so that they could get rapid curbside pickup you know fast. Um, from a marketing side, we worked with the culinary team to say, what could we bring together? What was relevant right now? And a lot of things like family meal deals were popular then. So we brought together healthy family meal deals with our salmon bowls or our salmon fillets and different ways of packaging our food together. So it was like one-stop shop for mom or dad if they wanted to pick up meals for the family. Um, so we focused on that. We also, you know, we stopped all our limited time offers. It just didn't make sense to have those. Those were causing a lot of churn on our restaurants, but also we weren't driving people into a lot of our restaurants at the time. So we really stripped back the core menu and said, this is a moment in time to reset the business. So another team worked on developing some of that new relevant food that I talked about um, and working on that quickly on the side. And then we, from a marketing standpoint, and from a communication side would say, how do we take what's coming off from core that's new and package that together in a way that's relevant and talk about that to our guests. So a lot of focus on delivery, a lot of focus on um, pickup and with the rapid red curbside pickup technology that we introduced um a lot of focus on those packaged meal deals um ways to make it easier for families you know we would pulse in free delivery offers or you know 10 percent off or things like that and pressure tests just coupons but you had to stay nimble because the world was changing so fast restaurants would start to open when others weren't it was you know sometimes county by county state by state so we just had to stay nimble um, and we still are staying nimble even in in the world now where everything is open and everyone is operating um, fully there still are other concerns to deal with from staffing to supply chain and things like that too so i think the key is it made us work um, nimble and smarter um, and get scratched too, um, and ensure that the dollars we did spend um, were working as hard as possible for us. Um, And that's going to probably stay true from now on, it's just a different approach that we have.
0: Yeah, and I think the world has generally changed. So we are, Vincent, Vincent and I come in five days a week, but most of the other people are coming in a couple of times a week, and it's probably here to stay. Uh, that way in our offices, but do you see that change happening in the uh, restaurant business as well, where people are going to restaurants less, ordering out more? Is that here to stay? You think?
2: I think the demand is actually there. It's now kind of becoming a share game, right? How do you how do you still share from the competition. So I do think to-go is still going to stay, even our um, as our restaurants are now reopened completely. the um, Our percentage of our to-go business is much higher than it was pre-pandemic. Um, so I don't think that behavior is going to change. I think people um, want what they want when they want it. <laughs> and if it means ordering it through our app and getting it delivered to their door, that's perfectly fine with us. We're actually thrilled. you know. So um, I think that's just a new mindset for people. And that's a new thing restaurants have. To you know, wrap their heads around too. So um, again, it's like staying um, up to date and staying relevant with what consumers want and are looking for. I think right now the other things consumers are really hitting hard on is value. They're looking for a value everywhere. So you know, there's there's times in the past when we used to do limited time only offers that had no price points in them at all, um, and they would be you know really nice, beautiful fees, um, but they weren't value centric, right? So now we need to balance that. How do we think about, how do we offer value? How do you still get a great seafood meal, but, um, you know, envelop that in a value offer for our guests? And that's something we're working on to launch soon.
1: And uh, Deanna, I remember you you were talking about it. I I remember that campaign about the food truck. Yeah. And uh-huh. I and, I, and I love that idea of the, the sandwich and the bowl, because I think so many people kind of are consuming food that way. You know, the memory I have of Red Lobster is the sit down, the feast. I made sure I ordered the feast, especially if my parents were paying, you know, uh, I, I, that, but for me, um, you know, it, it's really, I, I love going, of course, in New York city, you order out a lot, but I love going into restaurants. You touched upon it, but talk about where you see the future of, of restaurants going in, in, in a, in a way like that business, in general
2: i think well i think for i mean when i think about us you know you mentioned earlier we were always a special occasion place and i think you've even not just us but other brands too you've got to think about how you are more of an everyday um option for guests so and you've got to have the right products um and food and the right services so that you fit those need states so um you know we were a very special occasion. We would you would go for your birthdays, your anniversaries, your first dates and have those big meals. But if we're gonna grow the brand and grow our guest space, you've got to be relevant for lunch. I, I should be able to go there on a Thursday afternoon and get it in and out for lunch and not overpay and have a really good value. Um, if I don't have time to stop in on the way home from work and I want to feed my family, I should be able to swing in and pick up something quickly and it, you know, be easy. So I think for, for restaurants in the casual dining space, I think there's always gonna be a demand there, but I do think it's a share game with us to say, how are you best serving the guest needs? And that's where the consumer is gonna go. I think there's always brand loyalty and there's always crave. So, there's always a time of year that we you know we know during you know the the spring time around Lent, people are craving lobster, and that's why you see things like lobster, fest and lobster dishes come out from us then. Um, but there's also this you know everyday need state you have, and the world's changed. as you said, not everybody is going to work. People are working from home. and how do you how do you take your brand and adapt it for people's lives and become relevant for them every day?
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that. And because the food is so good and I love that you're adapting. I don't think there's not a lot of, you don't hear that about a lot of other uh, restaurants. So they're not adapting. Maybe they're getting a QR code. Great, you're adapting. We, we, we get it. But I, yeah. I, I love that. Just making it value-driven because the food has always been amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, now having more people get access to that and then growing up with that, right? So if, if you're a younger person and you're starting to get into the restaurants with the bowls and and the sandwiches then then it's just gonna you're gonna grow up with that and and bring your family there and you're just gonna keep it so i love that i love what you're doing there i want to talk about just the hospitality business in general and especially specifically to you what what's drawn you to this hospitality business
2: So uh, personal passions of mine are travel. I will go pretty much anywhere, (laughs) food, wine. Um, And so growing up, I grew up in South Florida. We would come up to Orlando on a biweekly basis, it felt like. Um, I just loved, like I was the, the person that planned the experiences in the family. I was the oldest, I was in charge, and that was my job. So I would grab every brochure on the turnpike, you know, and I would put together what we would do as we would drive from here to like the Carolinas. Um, but I just love the whole idea of an experience, right? And I know there's a lot of marketers out there that work for different CPG companies and they're fabulous. Um, but I remember talking to someone once and she was so excited that she came from, a, you know, she sold Bug Spray and nothing wrong with that. But I'm like, wow, how do you get excited about that? Like but when you sell an experience, when you sell a destination like Orlando or you sell, you know, a hotel experience that's got great stuff for kids and families, or you sell a brand like Red Lobster or, you know, even, you know, Olive Garden in the past where I was at you're selling a family meal and an experience I feel like there's so much it's such a richer product to sell um in my opinion that I feel personally more attached to that than I would um a certain product or anything so it just kind of follows my passions personally yeah Nina,
0: can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, work you did on the campaign to integrate le- red lobster in a to table story
2: Absolutely. So back um, when we were pretty big TV advertisers, we worked with Discovery Channel and um, we um, had the opportunity to integrate our brand with The Deadliest Catch, which was a completely natural integration because those captains do catch our crab. Um, They had been well before that show ever started. Um, So that was a perfect integration um, with our brand. So for three years, we grew that integration and um, worked with different sets of captains, Um, became very close friends with a lot of them to this day, we still talk, Um, but their jobs are incredible, what they do and the lives they put at risk to go out, Um, and that whole story about, you know, this is a generational fishing story um, is is amazing when you really get to know them and what they do and how important it is what they do. Um, There are laws of the sea that they follow, and there's laws of the sea that we abide by, so that journey of that crab came from this boat and then is now on my plate is um, 100% true, and it's, it's something we're really proud about. So we um, worked and told the story in different ways. Um, we actually um, told a generational story the first season with one of the with the Northwestern boat. We then moved and told a story about um, different um, different angles of the sourcing story from Captains Casey and Captain Josh. We even worked with the captains one time to do a kind of competition amongst three of them to come up with a dish that was then featured on our in our restaurants. So we were actually getting ready to do something even bigger with, the, uh, with that network when COVID hit, unfortunately. So we had to pull back, but I hope one day we'll get to work with them again.
0: That's awesome. Uh, in terms of kind of uh, with the world going more digital and the amount of work you already do in the digital side, Uh, Is email a good channel for you as well as uh, is that uh, something you use for loyalty marketing as well?
2: Yeah, 100%. We actually have another vice president, my counterpart. She leads the loyalty program um, for our team. But you're right, once you can get your guests into our loyalty database, they become extremely valuable to you. And you get to know them and you know how to, you know, communicate with them even better. Um, So she just reached, I think, 10 million members. Um, So we're really proud about that. And she did win an award for that as well. Um, Not for reaching the 10 million, but for for being a great um, loyalty Program, So we're extremely proud and we do work to get people into that program as much as we can. There's great, um, it's easy to earn rewards and those rewards are delicious. They're usually appetizers and desserts and different things that we can come up with. So um, we are working, I know she's working on some plans to give some special access to those members, um, which if you are part of that program, you can get. And um, yes, hundred percent, I think that is a great compliment to a nice media mix is to have that loyalty program supporting it.
1: Absolutely, we've had some uh, other organizations on who really, you know, push for for the loyalty program. I, I'm loyal to those programs, so I, I think that's that's a great idea. Let's switch gears a little, and I want to ask you our signature question that we ask here. On uh, I know she's like, wait, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> so if you've ever listened to the podcast, we ask a question, especially someone a brand like Red Lobster, someone like you, right? Experience, um, you know, VP of marketing there. LinkedIn, you probably get solicited about 98 times a day from people on LinkedIn. She's like, actually it's like 3,000, so many people. But yeah. the, we always ask this question, what is a message on LinkedIn, Deanna, that resonates with you that, that says, you know what, let me get back to this person. And then on the flip side, the more fun uh, answer, I think, is what is just a message that you hate, that you never respond to? We've had about almost 100 guests answer this question.
2: (laughs) Then I'm in good company.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) Okay, so not quite 98, but I'm not exaggerating when I say about 10 to 15 a day which is a lot. And it's it's extremely difficult to respond to that. Um, I will say a good one is, do you want to be on my podcast? No,
1: <laughs> Right, that's a good one,
2: right?
1: <laughs> so start a podcast and then you will get Deanna on your, uh, that'll get her attention. Well, don't well, start a podcast, it, it, don't, don't start a podcast.
2: It, listen, it certainly got my attention and I actually did pass it along to our agency. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it is a very smart, smart play. Um, I, I guess a good one is a genuine request. Like I, I wish LinkedIn was what I thought it would be when I first signed up for it. It was a great way for your professional colleagues to stay connected, support each other, you know, give out referrals and things like that, um almost be like the you know the anti-Facebook but for your coworkers, right? Um, And I thought, this is great. And then as you kind of progress in in life and career, you're right, it becomes more of this like hardcore solicitation tool. So I think, I don't know, it's hard to say, a good one is like a genuine connection. People wanna feel like it's um, something that's, you know, gosh, something that fits with what I'm doing. I get a lot that don't, Um, may may or may not be needed by the brand, but it's, it's an open invitation to explore. Um, so it's more of a genuine approach. Um, I think the ones that don't work for me are the ones that think it's the only message I'm getting, um, and come after you multiple times or go to your boss or the person they think is your boss and then use their name to come after you as well. That's always a fun one too. They're like, I just, i connected to this person who I think is your boss and therefore you should call me back. And I'm like, yeah, no. And that person retired by the way. So, um. That-
1: it's, I love that.
2: Yeah, and I think the, the only other ones I would say to stay away from are if they get too creepy. Like I've had some gifts sent to me where they are like, I saw you went to Florida State and therefore I sent you this great stuffed animal from FSU, which is nice, yet creepy. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think if there's a way to make a genuine connection and genuinely connect your product to them, but also know and respect that they probably have like longstanding contracts and relationships with agencies and partners too. So. Um, it's it's a balance, right? So if they don't get back to you right away, you know, give them a breathing room, don't hound them, you know, try to make a genuine connection as much as possible. And just understand that I'm sure if I'm getting 10 to 15 a day, I'm sure other people are getting, you know, even more than that. So, um, and, you know, yeah, that, that would be my best advice. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, so let me tell you something. So the out of 100, yeah. we've never heard that response before because yeah. uh, of the boss and, and 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 the the gifts so oh you have uh, we, right right aj we, we've heard of like Yeah, no you know, we,
0: we have not heard that one no uh,
1: that's uh now I, there's gonna be uh, there's probably be people who are gonna use that out there so it's like uh you just research it and, and you say hey uh you know stephanie or bill said to reach out to you and you're like stephanie retired 11 years ago like what are you talking about <laughs> that
2: is hysterical so- Yes, we've had a CEO who's retired um, and his name gets used a lot. But also before he retired, he has a very unique middle name, which is part of his LinkedIn, which he never uses professionally. So when they would use his middle name to me, I knew for sure he hadn't referred because he never used it. <laughs> so... <laughs> it was yeah yeah there's a there's
1: a I like it (laughs) that's that's a good one Deanna yeah and also yeah I I get the you know the Florida State it would be creepier even if it's like at your door hey I've got a stuffed (laughs) animal but yeah it's that's that's great yeah I I had
0: that uh, one creepy one uh, which was actually kind of funny this uh, lady kept emailing me and finally she said uh, I'm Starting to sound like your crazy uh, girlfriend now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're creepy like crazy ex-girl, but yeah, I'm like
0: creepy ex-girlfriend. So
1: it's like you are and <laughs> yeah.
2: Hi, or do you let it go? Like how do you make it stop? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, LinkedIn makes it easy with especially in emails. There's like a boop, no, I'm not interested. I'll at least do that, right? And that that that's one of the things I do because I, I value my my network. So if you're if you're listening, don't be creepy. Don't use a boss who's retired. Start a podcast and that, uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, so uh, Deanna, let, let's, another question we, we yeah. ask uh, most of our guests, you, you know, I, I love your, we even even talk about this. I love your rise just within Red Lobster because you had a multiple positions within
0: uh-huh.
1: marketing that are now either the vice president of marketing. Talk to me about a, moment you're proud of in the at your career at Red Lobster, whether it be a campaign, whether it be a problem you solve, just a, just a shining moment that you want to mention.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of, and I know I talked about this earlier, is that integration with Deadliest Catch. And I say this because um, what I didn't say earlier was um, when I first joined the company, they had um, negotiated this deal, our agency did, to get us this added value opportunity. Um, And at the time, nobody's at this in this company in this role anymore they were just going to use the um added value and turn it into extra um trps for television and and i walked in and i, I said this is why would why, that's great we always love extra media weight but here's a golden opportunity to tell the story we've been sitting on and we've tested on um, with our guests and um and we know resonates well we know people want brands that stand for something and have a purpose. Um, And we have been doing the right thing for a long time. So we should, we should take this opportunity to say, this television show is featuring the men that go out into the ocean and catch the food that ends up on your plate. And so I was really proud to get that passed. And the first time we filmed with them, I was extremely proud to then see that on TV. And then to grow that over three years was fantastic. You know, We grew it into different vignettes, different stories. It grew out of Discovery into more of the Scripps Network television series. Um, and we were just this close to doing something with Food Network at the time. And unfortunately, um, we'll, we may have to get back to that. But um, but that was a really cool moment. And it was like the first time we got out of just promotional messaging into more of a um, brand storytelling about who we are as a brand and what we stand for. So that was a proud moment with Red Lobster.
1: So uh, also uh, we're, we're, we're coming to a close here, Deanna. Uh, this time has flown by. Uh, talk to me about, we like to get to know people on the personal side as well here, talk to us about what you like doing in your spare time, what do you like doing for fun, yeah. any, anything uh, that you also took on during the pandemic, we always hear those stories, we're like, I bake bread now, and I never <laughs> used to bake bread, I'm like, that sounds amazing, if it's good, if it's not good, doesn't sound great, but yeah.
2: So my biggest passion is travel. So I um, love to travel. And I think that was the hardest thing to do, not doing during the pandemic was not travel, but I did figure out ways to still kind of do that. Um, so I just got back from a culinary trip to Maine. I was there last week and it was amazing. I had never been to Maine before, but I ate a lot of lobster, a lot of oysters. And um, so anything that's wrapped around food and travel is is my jam. Um, so personally, that's, that's my thing. Um, I um, left the country very later in life. I was in college and I moved to Germany, and I worked at a hotel and restaurant over there for seven months and did an internship. And once I did that, you couldn't keep me in the country. So you name the place, that's, uh, that's usually I have a list of where I want to go. And um, I can't wait to check it off. So personally, travel is one of my biggest passions for sure.
1: I I love it. Yeah. And I always like to travel around places where I know there's going to be good food.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I love it. We've been to Maine, my wife and I, and it's great. We, we did all the amazing food there. Like I said, my, my honeymoon was around food and wine. It was around Argentina and all the great beef out there and all the great Malbecs for like three American dollars that are like $48 over here. So we lived it up. I went to Santiago, Chile. Oh, it was amazing. This that's awesome. I hope you get back out there traveling. AJ's traveling. You're traveling. I got to get out there myself, (laughs) but this has been amazing. Deanna. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for continuing that amazing brand red lobster. We love it. We appreciate you being on the marketing stir. That is the vice president of marketing of red lobster, Deanna Koch. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Goop this has been another episode of the marketing stir give it a listen you will find a lot of unique stuff and listen to that linkedin answer i love it ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to the marketing stir podcast by starista please like rate and subscribe if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast
0: email us at the marketing stir and thanks for listening